0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye
2: 103.8. Helen Farmer with you on today's show. Afternoons with me, Helen Farmer. We were asking, what should you look for when you're looking for love? The Qualities in a Quality Partner. Dr. Thirai, clinical psychologist, rounding that up and talking red flags too. Discussing family mental health with the creator of Summit Plus, bullying expert and author Sebastian Bates. He helps kids and families overcome bullying in schools and at home too. Plus, Hamza Zouali, author, entrepreneur, career coach on hand. to Talk about fresh grads, how to stand out and step up in a very competitive job market. Plus, his advice, if you are a job seeker, it's a busy one. Are you looking for love? Maybe you found it. We're asking this hour, what should you be looking for in a romantic partner? And do we need to have our own? life together before starting one with someone else. Joining us in studio, the fantastic Dr. Thiraya, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. She does an awful lot of work with individuals, but also couples as well. And you have promised Mm -hmm. gold. Yes,
1: I have. Yes, I have.
2: (laughs) You said you're going to be revealing secrets that you normally only give to clients. Yes. Okay. Before we get to the gold, I'm curious, how does finding the right romantic partner contribute to our overall happiness? And I guess mental health.
1: Well, I mean, it's hard to define the right partner to start off with, but definitely when you are with a partner that fits quite well with you, not only are you helping yourself personally develop and grow, because that's what you're hoping to do with each other, but it can definitely help release, uh, release a lot of stress that you experience on a day-to-day basis. It gives you a sense of security and safety when you come home. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the difficulties that we go through naturally in life become a lot easier to to cope with and we become more resilient because we have that strong support network.
2: I'm always a bit baffled by people who seem to love the drama and I've always been a firm believer that being with someone should make your life easier better happier I'm always like quite astounded by how many people's partners are just a massive source of stress and mm-hmm. grief and sadness a lot of the time right to be honest um so I wanted to ask you then how important is it that someone who is looking for a relationship has their own you know what together you know has a strong sense of self-awareness not to sound too RuPaul about it, but I guess self-love and maybe isn't looking for someone to fix them.
1: Right. Oh, d- definitely you don't want that. And you shouldn't be looking for a savior either. Um, but when we talk about the idea of self love, it should not be a prerequisite before you find love yourself. You can develop together, mm-hmm. but I think there should be a level of awareness and insight into the things that you have struggled with before you get into a relationship. Because the tendency is when we are not aware and we don't have that insight, we actually walk into the relationship hoping and wishing and maybe even expecting that the, that our partner is going to save us or fix us and, and so on and so forth. So, Actually um I don't I'm sure you know her but Nadjwa Zebian she write she's an author famous author and she wrote a book called Welcome Home and it's such a powerful book because what she basically talks about is this idea of us learning how to build our own figurative home first at least start with the foundation mm-hmm. before we start connecting with other people because if not what we do is we attach ourselves to other people's homes and then if they leave or if you know something happens then we are left homeless so when she talks about this idea of welcome home, it's learning how to build your own home, your own sense of safety and security internally. And then you go and you visit other people's homes and you like sleepover, have sleepovers, that's fine. But essentially that you have your figurative home where you can feel that sense of calm mm-hmm. and and security for yourself. And content. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess there's
2: also this idea of you know doing the work on yourself before you go into into a relationship, but also understanding that when you meet someone and when you ultimately get married, the work doesn't stop. The work kind of changes right. that, you know, you need to keep, you know, as you said, developing um, as a as a couple, as an individual. It's not just a case of, ah, I've got the ring on my finger now, everything's going to be gravy. Absolutely. No. Um, and I think that's, I think a lot of, myself included, in my 20s was like, everything is going to be amazing as soon as I meet my husband. And you're like, well, no, it's just going to be a different set of problems, a different set of challenges. Mm -hmm. And as you say, if you're with someone that makes you feel healthy and happy and supported, then you... Now, you know, my other job is I'm a wedding celebrant. But this is something that I do say in um, a few of my kind of blessings, I guess, is that when you do have the right person... By your side you do feel more capable to kind of face life's mm-hmm. challenges that make you can face life in a way that you know you might not feel brave enough to do on your own and that is that is a gift um we have got some questions coming in we've got messages coming in i'm asking you what's on your criteria list when it comes to looking for the right partner ruth is saying compatibility trustworthiness intelligence sense of humor and kindness is what one should look for in a life partner. So I'm going to come back to this in just a few minutes. How important is compatibility, shared values for a successful long-term relationship? We're going to be getting from Dr. T her list of the qualities. As she said, doesn't normally give up this information. You'd normally need to book a session to get the goods. Messages coming in in the topic of looking for love. We are a couple of weeks outside of Valentine's Day, so maybe a little late notice to lock down the one. Um, but if you are looking, what are the qualities you should look for in a quality partner? Dr. Thrive, clinical psychologist, joining us. And this is the information, the framework, the secret source, if you will, <laughs> that you normally only offer up to clients, Dr. T. Mm. So someone comes into you looking for love, exasperated about how they're not finding it, string of perhaps unfulfilling, disappointing relationships. What is the framework, the questions you are asking them to ask themselves to help them find it?
1: Well, the first thing that I do is I really try to focus on the person's value system. But after I, we have a proper sense of what the value system is, I give them the framework that I kind of devised after working here for as long as I have, which is looking at three major categories, your basics, your standards, and your bonuses. And your basics and your standards are very similar, but they're not the same. So your basics are your red lines that they have to show up in the way that they're, they're supposed to with no negotiation whatsoever. Whereas your standards, they have to show up, but they are negotiable in how they show up. Can you give us some examples? that? Sure. And actually, they're the ones that I tell my clients you have to have. Like, I do not accept my clients don't have these because I think it's very important and crucial for a healthy relationship. So something like a basic has to be something like um, consistency in behavior. So... There are a lot of people that are really good at charming, really good at lying and really good at saying the things that they will do and want to do but they won't actually action it. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm looking for is consistency in behavior and that is extremely important. So and this is very common in dating certainly at the beginning this idea of
2: game playing mm-hmm. of oh I'll I'll message you about going out next week er, right ghosting silence right gaslighting or love bombing exactly right so consistency in behavior, talking the talk, walking the walk, Absolutely. making someone feel secure that you are going to be delivering on everything you promise. Yeah, promised. putting in
1: that effort into yeah. the relationship and consistent effort. So love bombing, the problem with love bombing is that you have so much effort in the beginning, but that's not sustainable. So we're looking for something consistent and sustainable. That's the first one that I give everybody for a basic. The second one is taking accountability. Can the person say, I messed up? my bad, I'm sorry. They don't really have to say the words, I'm sorry, but do they show a sense of remorse? And do they take accountability for the behavior that they engaged in that could have caused some form of damage to the relationship? Mm -hmm. So those are two basics I tell everyone they have to have. But other than that, based on your value system, you get to decide what else is in your basic. So some people will pick religion, some people will pick nationality, even some people will pick what's in your finance, like your bank account. It really just depends on your value system. Now, in terms of the standards, I have two others that I give, and, I, and those are expressions of love. And effective communication. So with expressions of love, for instance, they must be there. There must be some form of expression of love, but how it shows up is negotiable.
2: And we've talked about this before in terms of love languages and and how people are informed, whether it is those acts of service Mm -hmm. or it's gift giving or, you know, words of affirmation. But there needs to be some effort. Absolutely. Absolutely and intention in expressing love and affection.
1: Exactly. And it doesn't have to look like what I want it to look like. It just needs to show up in its form that's true for the other individual. And the other one is effective communication. So for instance, if I were the type of person that likes to resolve things immediately, like right now, whereas my partner needs a little bit of more time to process and to think about things, then that's absolutely fine. But there's still a form of effective communication there. So the, the, the difference between the standards and the basics are a little bit tricky because people get a bit confused. But what you're looking at, is both of those are red lines. Mm-hmm. Like it's a non-negotiable that they must exist. Whereas, but the standards, it's just negotiable in how they, they show up. And then we have the bonuses. Okay. Give me some examples that have come up. Okay. So the most common ones I hear, they're funny. They're cute. They're sweet. Tall. They're tall. (laughs) They like to travel. They make me laugh. And all of these are great but they are not what a person should base their relationship on. And unfortunately, that's what happens. We get addicted to the bonuses and we forget that the basics and the standards are so important. So although the bonuses are there and we want them to be there, which makes it a bonus, which is great. However, we need to remember that in order to sustain and to build and develop a very healthy, long-term relationship, you need things like effective communication, taking accountability, you know, expressions of love, consistency, and behavior. And you need things like respect you need things like intellectual stimulation there's so much that's there that needs to be there before we get to they make me laugh okay playing devil's advocate
2: sounds a bit boring i know you know what about though what about that chemistry that everybody is seeking on a first date or a first interaction or you know the you know eyes meeting at the i don't know luggage carousel you
1: mean the adrenaline rush that yeah. chemically happens in the body which is yeah. very natural that one yeah, yeah that one fades <laughs> so essentially we're trying to move away from passion to compassion and to get into a long-term relationship you need to move into something a little bit more, more mature now this is not to say that people who have that feeling cannot sustain great relationships of course they can we've seen thousands of relationships that are like that But the new world is very different. The dating scene is extremely different than it was before. And so the dating game, unfortunately, has now changed. And you need to be able to recognize certain things that before we didn't necessarily need to think of as much as we do now. Mm -hmm. I wanted
2: to ask you about that because we've had a message here from Nitin saying, what does Dr. T think about how
1: dating apps have impacted how and where we look for a partner? Mm. So that one's really tricky because, unfortunately, I feel like dating apps are creating this sense of convenience and the sense of, um, you know, if this person doesn't respond to me within a day or two, I can just move on to the next. It's it's very anonymous as well because a lot of people are either catfishing or, you know, posting things about themselves that are not real. And at the same time, you get a lot of individuals that have this feeling of, like, I don't really need to put in so much effort because there's the next person that's coming along right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to play a game?
2: Sure. There is a website called I Got Standards Bro. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, this is what are the chances of finding the man of my dreams? This is using US Census Bureau information. Okay. Okay. So, let's talk about some of the common bonuses. And because we're women, let's talk about some of the common wish lists of women. Sure. Okay. So, age range. Should we do, I don't know, 35, let's do 33 to 47. Sure. Okay. Race. You can do any color or shade—white, black, Asian. Let's keep it open. Yeah. Minimum height. I would. Uh, I would like someone my height or taller. Let's say. So let's say five ten. Yeah. Minimum income in dollars annually.
1: Uh, We're talking hundred. I, w- I would say most women would want someone who matches or is, is, is has more.
2: Let's say let's say ninety thousand dollars a year. Okay. okay. It's calculating the chance of meeting this probability-wise. You've, according to statistical data. Oh, sorry, we didn't even put in if you want them to be obese or not. That was the other factor. Oh, okay. (laughs) So this is all weights, all races. You've got less than a ten percent chance of finding this person. If you're going to go in and really narrow down that age bracket, you're going to go like thirty-five to forty-five, and let's say you you want a white guy who's six foot one, who earns one hundred eighty-five thousand.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think we're dropping that down to about like
2: 2%. 0.84%.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
2: And I feel like, as you said, when you're looking on these dating apps, mm. it's very easy to fall into this trap of it has to be this, 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 this. And this. the superficial stuff. Big time. Mm. Dr. Thry with us today. We've had a really interesting question, which I'm, we're going to come to next. This is from Carla saying, why do we so often overlook red flags, even when friends and family point them out? Should you listen to others when they don't like your boyfriend or girlfriend. We're going to be talking about what actually constitutes a red flag, psychologically speaking. And should we listen to our friends and family? If they're saying, "Mm, this is not the one, what should you do next? Let us know your criteria when you are looking for a partner or indeed if you are still looking for love. Rufus got in touch with his compatibility, trustworthiness, intelligence, sense of humour and kindness. Dr. Thry putting out there the basics, the standards... And, of course, those bonuses too. We'd love to hear yours. We're in conversation now with Dr. Thirai, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic, as we talk about what to look for in a romantic partner. It's interesting... Different people's takes on that, you know, than their industries on the significance of having a, a, the right romantic partner. Both Charles Sandberg and Warren Buffett have said it's the single most important decision you can make in terms of your the wealth over your lifespan. And I think that's a really interesting perspective as well because, as I said earlier, if you're feeling supported and brave, maybe you do feel empowered to, you know, take risks and go for that job. If you found someone who matches your values in terms of spending and saving or financial goals. It all feeds in in such an interesting way. Um, we've had some messages for you, Doctor T.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, Carla says, "Why do we so often overlook red flags, even when friends and family point them out? Should you listen to others if they don't like your boyfriend or girlfriend?" Right. Let's establish what real red flags are in mm-hmm. a relationship. Because I feel like a bit like, "Oh, he's a narcissist," is become a, can become a bit. Overused overdone and, yeah and a bit kind of a bit of a bit kind of diluted right um real red flags what would come under that category for you
1: so essentially anything that's controlling behavior abusive behavior any kind of type of gaslighting um i would say a shady past and when i when i say shady i mean very secretive like they're trying to keep information from you um married Right, for instance, <laughs> yes, that's a big one.
2: <laughs> I listen. I'm just going off what friends
1: are telling me. I, all right, I, I would not th- disagree with you. That's very common. <laughs> and um, so, those definitely controlling, abusive behaviors, gaslighting, uh, secretive past. Things also that you notice in terms of how they communicate or don't communicate. So Mm -hmm. a lack of communication, a lack of trust, extreme insecurity in the relationship, uh, differences. So inconsistency in their behaviors. So those would be the red flags that I I would definitely recommend for people to watch out for. And to answer the question, I think it's very difficult for us because of one major factor. I would say this is the biggest factor, but there are so many others as well, where we don't want to admit to ourselves that we may not have seen it. And sometimes when we're in a relationship or we started a relationship, we might get very excited. And we, we tend to look at all of the positives and the great things about that person. And we are we are sidelined when we start to see some negative stuff and we blow it over. We say, oh, no, you know, but but when, this, when, but that. When it's just us, it's different. Exactly. Or you see what he's like with his. Or- exactly. And we don't want to admit that actually we're just being a bit blinded by what's actually going on. We don't want to feel like you know, I'm, I'm going to use this word just because I hear it all the time, which is stupid. You know, this yeah. idea of like, oh, I feel so stupid. Like, why didn't I see it? Why didn't I notice it? And the idea is that it's, you're not stupid. It's just you were defending yourself against that pain of recognizing that this was not really the best decision for you.
2: Um, I wanted to come back to this idea of kind of mega red flags. And, you know, again, this narcissism word gets thrown around a mm-hmm. lot. But we were talking earlier about making a good first impression. And interestingly, some data kept going out that,
1: on speed dating, Mm -hmm. guess who does very well? The narcissists. Right, of course, because they're extremely charming. They are very good at speaking. They're very good at manipulation. And they have a great um, sense of rapport with individuals. The narcissist is not an individual who cannot have a great social uh, community. It's once challenged. That's when you can really see the discomfort come out. And that's where their behaviors start to come out a lot more. So sometimes I tell people, challenge the people that you're meeting. Just disagree with them. See what happens. Challenge what they're saying. See what happens. See how they react. We're not testing, but we are trying to speed up the process a little.
2: Yeah, makes sense. To the text line we go, anonymous message here saying, the girl I married is my childhood friend. I had a crush on her when I was at school. We started dating quickly, but I made the mistake of breaking up for when I felt the need to focus on my career and become independent. After going our separate ways, dating other people for a few years, we reconnected at a friend's birthday party. We both realized that we deserved a second chance. And ever since then, have been happily reunited and are now happily married.
1: That's, that's beautiful.
2: beautiful. Sometimes it is. It's right person, wrong time. Mm, that's true. It really, you know, it can be. And I, th- I think I wanted to ask you about this. About you m- might meet someone who was ticking so many boxes for you, but they're at a different life stage. Right? Maybe you're ready to settle down, and they're not. And you can't often force someone to be ready for a relationship, whether that's yourself or someone else.
1: No, for sure. And and you can't really force anybody to be in the relationship either. So it's not just getting into the relationship, to, but to be there. And a lot of individuals struggle and think that they need to put in more effort to make the relationship work, but that's actually not what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to do 100% from your 50, but then your partner needs to put in that effort as well because you can't hold the whole relationship. Here's a question for you, Dr.
2: Thryer. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in the concept of a soulmate? Or is finding the one a bit more complex than that?
1: It's a very tough question because I have seen it happen for a lot of people in the sense that, you know, like the story that we just Saw on the, on the message, right? That that for me would be a soulmate scenario. But do I believe that there's one person out there for every person? No, I don't believe that. I believe that we can make relationships work with a lot of effort and a lot of um, time and 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 um, you know effort put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do believe that sometimes sometimes we can find our soulmate.
2: So that leaves me with 30 seconds to ask you this question: Your number one bit of advice for someone who in 2024 would love to find their soulmate or version of?
1: Get off the dating apps <laughs> <laughs> and, and do more activities. Go meet people. Don't stay on the dating apps. Mm-hmm. I
2: I didn't even need thirty seconds, Dr.
1: Thryer. <laughs>
2: we have had a message saying what to do if you are already in the trap. We've also had a message along those lines as well, saying, "Can we be honest and talk about how many women are trapped in unhealthy relationships?" I would love to revisit this on a future show. We mm-hmm. ran out of time for today, but thank you so so much, um, Dr. Thryer. Is there at the Human Relations Institute in clinic? They say you're only as happy as your least happy child and conversations have changed an awful lot around children and indeed family mental health. We're joined now by Sandy Zadela. She is a passionate advocate for family well-being and mental health and is organising a summit that started yesterday running all the way through the week. 25 experts coming together for free workshops, free discussions and workshops discussing exactly this, some of the family challenges, practical tips for fostering good mental well-being. Sandy Zanella, how are you?
3: Hi, Helen. Or I'm Dr. Here. Sandy. <laughs> Sandy. <laughs> you well? Yes, very good. Thank you. Very happy
2: to be here. You're having a busy week, so thank uh, you for making time for us. Um, yes. We've obviously spoken before about a couple of things, but anyone that is new to you, would you mind explaining, I guess, your work and, and why you do it?
3: Yeah, so my mission is to help one family at a time to cultivate a mindfulness practice, to cultivate a mental well-being uh, experience through through the family and just help them and let them know that it's easy and not as easy but it's it's a process that we can get there we can get there to have a he- healthy family
2: and why do you do, do that what are some of the challenges some of the things you're hearing from families here in the UAE specifically that you feel like there is a real need there
3: there is a real need because after the pandemic to begin with like statistics went three times the, the levels of anxiety and depression but also here in Dubai we face like children being used to like fancy lifestyle and some of them they're not they're not it's not easy for them to practice gratitude or or you know it's a different world mm-hmm. than the other world that we have like in in UK or the US. I think every country has its has its challenges
2: I, w- what I would say about Dubai and I'm with you on the the parties the lifestyle <laughs> the luxuries and trying to keep our kids grounded is a bit of an uphill battle as, as parents. And it's something that we should be really tuned into. But like also just how busy we are. I, we were, I was feeling last week and I, trust me, if I, I know how this sounds, let's just say, but I was feeling really disconnected from the kids. Like I just felt like I hadn't spent enough time with them. And it's such, it's so important to kind of recognise that and then to try and do something about it, if that makes sense, because when we're feeling disconnected from our kids, I feel like behavior gets out of hand. Conversations stop happening. And yeah, it's a real choice to, to try and do that. So I wondered if you could perhaps speak to some of the common challenges that you're hearing. Because you work a lot with children through yoga and meditation and mindfulness, but also from the parents. What's yeah. stressing parents out right now, Sandy?
3: Well, just what you were saying, the guilt. A lot of parents it's feel huge. guilty if you work, if you stay at home all the, the social media parenting—that this comparison of this mom is doing these amazing lunches in the morning, or this mom is meditating—maybe they think my life is perfect. My life is far from perfect. I do meditate, but I'm, I still yell at my kids. You know, I'm not—I—I I, I don't want people to think that we are perfect just because we are practicing mindfulness. So a lot of people feel feel the fear of of their children, sibling rivalry, for example, rivalry. They the think that they're going to be like. Forever, children are not going to grow being best friends. And it, I think sometimes as parents is that fear of the future. We focus a lot of, oh, what if my child becomes a bully? Or or what if they don't talk to each other when they're going to be adults?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So it's, it is a huge responsibility. And I feel
2: like, you know, there are so many ways where we can, I don't want to say wrong, but, you know, there are so many pitfalls we can fall into. And actually, things like the summer, which we're going to talk about um, next are a way of accessing great information, accessing guests you might not normally have access to. Um, one of the topics you are tackling is parental burnout, which does tap into what you were just talking there about guilt. But, you know, we hear about professional burnout all the time. But I think, I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Toughest job in the world, stay-at-home mum. My goodness. Hours are brutal. Clients can be tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, so... Parental burnout in particular, why was it something that you wanted to focus on Sunday?
3: It happened to me you know because I felt as the unseen mom. Like we do so much but still society thinks the stay-at-home mom doesn't do anything and they're just like with the kids enjoying life. So I touched bottom when I when I, when I was feeling so, so much resentment towards my husband because he was going out and I was just staying home with a baby. I couldn't talk to anyone. I had oh, like touching me babies all the time. Over-stimulated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I think moms and parents who they can feel overwhelmed and burnout. But it's just that we don't we don't talk about that much. So, talk-
2: how are you looking to address that with the summit? Who who are you bringing in to to give some practical advice on it? And anything you can share now for anyone who's going? Do you know what? I am sick of being touched and clambered on and you know lack of adult conversation
3: what can help yeah Yeah, so I have for example uh Ellie Harwood she's attachment nerd and she talks about secure attachment and from parents to partners and specifically that attachment that that might have affected you when you were little and now with your partner how is it and and she talks about how important it is to even learn how to have a discussion with your husband an argument with your husband that touch with your husband that that can tell them okay while you were touching his his shoulder you can say okay I completely disagree with what you're saying but still there is a connection between mm. you and and me and then our children are gonna watch this and they're gonna say it's normal for them to have arguments but there is a way
2: the attachment theory I find really really interesting we we have pardon the pun touched on on the show before but. Um, I was just listening to Paul C. Brunson talking about this yesterday, who we've had on the show, amazing, like behavioral scientist, relationship nerd, and he's advisors on shows like Married at First Sight and Celebrity Go Dating. And he's talking about the impact that um, your attachment style. So if you are, okay, so basically take it back. Um, They did an experiment decades and decades ago where you had a child and a a carer, like a small child and their their primary caregiver, most normally the mum, in a room, mum left the room, and then how did the child react? And then how did the child then react to that caregiver coming back into the room? And they identified initially three attachment theory styles. One is the secure attachment, which is caregiver comes back in, child is soothed, everything's happy. There is the anxious style, which is caregiver comes back into the room, child is then you know don't leave me again still distressed takes a while to calm down and then there is the avoidant which is caregiver comes back in and the child doesn't want to engage there's distrust there's I don't want to I don't want to be with you and the impact that your attachment style can have on your relationships intimacy how you navigate the world so I think that is a really really interesting one remind me again of the expert you've got Ellie Ellie Harwood yeah okay we are going to be talking next about the role of yoga and mindfulness. And yes, we do see Lycrid Lovelies on Instagram doing this with their kids, but what about us norms at home? How accessible is it and how can we do it without adding to our to-do list or making it feel like a chore? Joining us in studio, Dr Sandy Znella. She, her Family Mental Health Matters Summit is ongoing. Dr. Sandy Zneller is with us today. This week, they are marking family mental health, specifically children's mental health, with a special summit that is free. Um, about more than 20 experts coming together for a couple of hours every day for workshops, discussions, um, and basically some of the, some of the topics that I feel like we need to be tuning into. Now, you have yoga and mindfulness you have a book you do camps as well uh with your daughter which i think is really lovely and we're going to talk about incorporating into our lives but i guess before that and in light of the summit going on now sandy how do you feel like conversations have changed about children's mental health certainly over the last decade
3: i'm really happy with how is it going especially it's more open because the more we raise awareness the more help we get for the people who are suffering any mental illness or disease but um in schools especially I think it, they are they're more open to share about mindfulness about, but it's not just sharing the tools, but also sharing that there is, there are some illnesses that we need to to take care and take seriously. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the awareness piece is one. I think the
2: other thing is you know where to get help and normalizing asking for help, mm-hmm. which I think is really really crucial. And a lot of schools do have that. Very visible school counselor in place, and as you say, these—I mean, my daughter this morning was doing a canal walk where they'd matched up. It's really, it's really sweet. I think they—I think I she was know. delighted because she got out of a lesson. But you know, they'd matched up—you know, year one and year five, year two and year six, year three and year four—to meet a child that you don't know and walk along the canal with them and have a chat. Yeah. And I was like, that is just adorable. I think she, I think she was just really chuffed to be missing Arabic. To be, <laughs> to be truthful but i think you know she they come home and talk about mindful coloring um and this it's it is i think there's a bit of confusion about what mindfulness is i think in adults and kids to be honest but um certainly when it comes to prioritizing quiet time thinking time. Um, meditation can feel like a lot for grown-ups as well. That's like something on your to-do list. But why do you feel like it should be, I'm not saying a priority, but something that we should be should be incorporating into family life?
3: Because 50% of the mental health diseases are diagnosable and are treatable, especially if you give children the tools that, that they can use to navigate life. So this is very important. It's hard. Yes, it is. Because everything takes practice especially stillness like in, out of in my yoga class you can do a headstand that's hard the hardest thing is the last pose which is the lying dance savasana, which is like not doing anything just staying still so i think this is what makes it so hard for people to even try do you feel like
2: it can feel a bit embarrassing sometimes for parents to be like, we're you know, or even trying to find time for it. Any practical tips for overcoming any discomfort or, yeah, time barriers, Sandy? How long does it take, do you think, to, to get into this?
3: You can start with one minute. The the important thing is to create that habit. It's like when we start with our kids to brush their teeth. We just start to, to let them know that it's important to take care of their oral hygiene. So just start with one minute with your children Or for yourself and then increase three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. If you want to stop at ten minutes, ten minutes are great. And if you can't do it at home, I
2: guess there's always the idea of outsourcing it to someone like you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, You do have your book as well. Tell us a little bit about how that can be a good tool.
3: Yeah. So my book is very easy to read. You can just open. You don't have to read from beginning to end. So you can just open with your children when they're like feeling stressed, maybe going to school in the morning. So you can just open it and do the post and that's it. It's inspired by my kids. So it's very easy with positive affirmations.
2: The summit is ongoing now. Would you mind explaining a little bit about how you you chose some of the experts. You've got some great names as part of this program, Sandy. Who have you brought together?
3: I've been following them for a while. I know that, for example, Dr. Laura Markham, she is a pioneer of peaceful parenting. So I knew I wanted her to be there. Uh, there is also the authors of How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. So also the, for them, they have their book translated in more than 30 languages. Their best-selling books. So so I just chose the people who I, who I look up to, you know, like who I... I have learned from them too. And how can people get involved? So they can go through the link in my bio. Uh, register, is for free, and it's, it's yeah, it's just... It's all this week. Um, yeah. We're going to make
2: it even easier. You want to send me the word link or the word family, I will send you the link. Uh, but it's on Um And in terms of the logistics of getting access to these people it is there are live discussions but then you can access this information afterwards is that right
3: yeah everything is pre-recorded so you don't have to worry about schedules or anything you can just watch at your own pace but each day has 24 hours to watch that lineup for the day so every day there's like five to seven activities thank you so so much for coming in as i said i know you've got a very busy week ahead of you but
2: marking children's mental health week um up next we're going to be speaking to one of those speakers uh sebastian bates from warrior academy and was we talk about tackling bullying um his own experiences and ultimately some of the advice he's going to be having through the family summit sandy thank you so thank much you. really appreciate it It is Children's Mental Health Week and joining us is one of the guests as part of that summit we've just been discussing, Sebastian Bates from Warrior Academy and he's going to be on hand discussing bullying and some of the work, Sebastian, that you do to ultimately tackle this. Now, tragically, over the last few weeks, we've seen some really horrendous stories, certainly coming out of the UK, about students taking their own lives, which, I mean, as a parent, you can't, you know, the heartbreak, I can't even imagine, but... Also, some really wild stories about children being bullied for not having Stanley Cups, for example. So, I'm glad you're on hand. This is this is an, a topic that we should always be talking about, always helping parents with, but especially during Children's Mental Health Week. And I wanted to start by asking, why is this a topic that you are so passionate about for, and such a powerful advocate for as well?
0: Hi, Helen. Great to be on. Good and to see you again. And you? Um, why is it? such an important topic, I think that we now realise that our children are likely to go through bullying. I think that we've now got the data, we've got the understanding. um, We now can look back and realise that our children are more likely to go through it than not, whether that is being a victim of bullying or actually becoming a bully themselves.
2: Can I ask about your own personal experiences about this and whether it is something you went through as a child or things you've even helped some of the kids at Warrior Academy through?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, just to give some context, the War Academy um, has been going now for about 15 years. It uh, started in the UK uh, in humble beginnings in villages in rural Somerset and Wiltshire. Uh, we've gone on to teach about 30,000 children around the world in three continents and seven countries. And I've written a book called Not a Victim, uh, which is a best selling book on bullying. And so, the reason for all of that, if I had to go back and join the dots, was because I went through four years of bullying as a kid. And so it's only really when we look back, we can realise why we do what we do. Right. And so for me, that the passion of helping young people transition through bullying started from my own experiences of going through it myself.
2: There is unfortunately still so much stigma and shame attached to it. You know, victims can often blame themselves. And even as parents, there can be some really clumsy conversations about well, why you know why is this happening? What did you do? That kind of thing. And I, I wanted to maybe ask you about what the role the, the parents have. You know, if a child's coming to you distressed, yeah. saying something's happening, anything that you feel like can be really beneficial to open that up conversation, and you know, ultimately start to get them some help. And I guess on the flip side, things not to say, Sebastian.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I think the the first thing that I've got is a lot of sympathy for parents. I think when a, when your child goes through bullying. The reality is you go through it with them and often we look back on our own experiences of bullying to then mentor our children through bullying and so what you then find is there's this generational trauma which then goes from generation to generation and influences how we then mentor and bring up our own kids especially around difficult transitions like bullying so what can parents do well i think that we need to prepare our kids for bullying as if we're preparing them to cross the road right we teach our kids to cross the road hopefully So we look for the zebra crossing, we look for the the black and white lines, we look left and right, we try and get eye contact with the driver, but we don't approach bullying in the same way, even though it's likely to happen. We don't explain to children the dangers around there. We don't teach them about nonverbal communication. We don't teach them about how to appear confident, how to respond to bullying, how to notice it um, in communities. And so I think the most important thing that we can do as parents is not wait for it to happen and then be reactive, The most important thing we can do is be proactive and start with little things right now that we can do to actually help our children so that when it comes, they transition through bullying quickly. And it doesn't continue into chronic bullying, which we see so often in the War Academy.
2: Can I ask a bit of a tricky question? When is bullying bullying? You know, I think sometimes there's a bit of a it can be overused as a phrase and it can be weaponized as a word as well and that's not i'm not saying that to devalue the experiences that some of our kids are going through but yeah. you know there are processes in place in school when it when it when it truly is you mentioned chronic there so do we have a definition we're talking about sustained behaviors rather than yeah, one off comments think, and interactions
0: so i mean i mean on the on the light side of this you've got banter right so banter is typically a playful communication between two people or a group of people which actually um increases the bond between people and it's normally good fun and the people involved enjoy that conversation Yeah, it's
2: it's consensual funny chat
0: right yeah okay so anyone from england listening to this will understand what banter is (laughs) it's consensual funny chat that's a good definition there (laughs) (laughs) so what's bullying well bullying is when it's not that right bullying is when when one person takes it personally and so and they can take that as an offense or whatever it is that even um, you know psychological harm from it or it can bring up insecurities but ultimately, it comes down to our perception of the words. So if I was to um, say something to you um, in English that you didn't like and that was offensive, you would take offense. But if I said it in a different language, you wouldn't take offense purely because you didn't understand what I was saying. The perception there mm-hmm. was not the same. And so we all perceive verbal communication and you know, the way in which we bully each other or banter each other in different ways. But I think it's being acutely aware of when that turns from someone enjoying it to someone actually feeling harm from this.
2: Yeah, and feeling um, feeling threatened in a space that they should feel safe in, which, you know, ultimately we we know our children learn and thrive when they're feeling safe and secure and happy. And school should be that place. And I think, yeah. I'm sorry, apologies to any educators or teachers listening, but any teacher that comes out and says there's no bullying in, in my school is, is absolutely kidding themselves because it. It's, it doesn't discriminate. It's across all different sectors and demographics and, and school environments.
0: I love talking to you about bullying, Helen, because you, you and I are on the same wavelength with this. Um, I see so many schools out there saying we're a bully-free school. It's false advertising for lots of reasons. Um, if you look at why a child bullies in the first place, it's typically because they are trying to regain some control in their life. And so they, you know, they could be bullied at home. They could be bullied by their parents. They could be bullied by their friends at school. And so they look for an environment or a, or a situation where they can regain control. And that typically then manifests in bullying other people. And so it's this flow of negativity. And that's really where bullying stems from, right? But chronic bullying is is something quite tragic. And that typically is because bullying travels with us from age to age, from primary school to secondary school, up to adolescence, into the workplace, until we have the courage to overcome it on our own. And the words that are really important, overcome it on our own. We can't save our kids from bullying. And this is where for me, my approach and my kind of definition of parenting, if you like, comes in. You know, Parenting is this balance of empowerment and protection. If you overprotect, your child's more likely to be bullied. If you overempower, your child's less likely to go and leave their comfort zone again. And so it's really important that we empower our kids to face life's challenges on their own. And that includes bullying. And bullying is just an ugly part of the human condition. It's an ugly part of how we learn to socialise, how we learn to find out what we don't like about ourselves so that we can correct that and learn to love ourselves. And so we end up going through this time and time again until we do overcome that. And that takes a lot of courage from the children and the parents.
2: It does. It takes an awful lot of awareness as well. Um, You know, for parents to say, you know, my child is not perfect. You know, my child might be exhibiting behaviours that I don't like, but it's something I want to work on them. Sebastian Bates with us today, the author of Not a Victim, Enable Your Child to Break Through Bullying and Develop a Black Belt in Resilience for Life, which we've only got a minute or so left, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about Warrior Academy and how you feel that equips children and young people with the confidence to go through life and that self-assurance, that resilience that is so, so crucial. As you say, it's not going to make anyone immune to bullying, but it can certainly equip them a little bit better. Tell us about Warrior Academy and how you feel like it has been so integral to some children.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the Warrior Academy is a character development organisation. If you look at the last chat you had with uh, Sandy, um, you talked about soft skill development and you talked about mindfulness and all these elements that are beyond what a school typically teaches outside of the academics. And so the Warrior Academy exists to help parents with developing the soft skills of their children, developing their character and helping them become more resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, The three C's, we call it, that we focus on are confidence, conduct, and concentration. And when you bring all three C's up to a high level, you give your child a black belt character. Uh, One of the things we do is we actually uh, give parents a guarantee that within 30 days, we can increase your child's confidence. Um, And, you know, we have thousands of children go through our program. On average, um, children see an increase of 82% in their confidence in just 12 months. And so that's what we're up to. And we're the only um, specialist character development center here, in the Middle East. Uh, We're in Dubai, in Al-Jud Centre, in Al-Khuz, and we're just about to open up in Arjan. So right next to all the residential areas um, in the city.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you so, so much, as ever, for sharing your passion. And I think the practical, it's really important that we, you know, we, we read books about our own mental health, we read books for enjoyment, but, you know, it's quite rare that we actually turn towards something that can really make a significant impact on our mental health and and how we empower our children too. Sebastian Bates, absolute pleasure as ever. Um, With your permission, if someone wants to send me the word warrior, I'll share the website link and and the book link as well. Would Would that make sense?
0: Yeah, that sounds perfect.
2: Amazing. Sebastian Bates, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate that. Fantastic to have you with us. And we're turning our attentions to careers, whether you are new to the job market or indeed looking for a job after a long time. And who better to guide us than Hamza Zawali, career coach, professional recruiter, entrepreneur and author. Before coming career coach, he was a professional recruiter for over a decade in Europe and the Middle East. And throughout his career, has researched, interviewed, selected and coached thousands of candidates from juniors and grads all the way to top executive roles. And has written a book on the topic. The 30-day job search is available now. He is currently based in the UAE and coaches those job seekers internationally. So I want to ask you the tough questions and 4001 if anyone's got any <laughs> anything for Hamza. Um, we are talking grads on the show today and I wondered in your experience in recruitment and coaching, when was the worst period in time to graduate into the job market?
4: So if you take out crisis um you know we talked about 2008 um or the covid or now i think it's getting more and more difficult uh, the more we are getting uh, because for the simple reason is that the economy is accelerating technology is accelerating there's new jobs being created and we have um say 20 years ago we had kind of a glimpse on what kind of jobs would be available um, talk about it now uh, five years down the line we still don't know we still haven't decided what AI is going to be replacing or not for example
2: so things were a bit more stable in the past and that allowed you to not make predictions necessarily but perhaps to have a greater accurate insight into exactly. what might
4: be coming and now technology is, is accelerating everything and the speed of change is amazing um, not, not just that but even the way um, uh, fresh guys are recruited or, or any candidate for that sake um, companies are going to be more and more focusing on EQ than IQ, 100%.
2: Can you unpack that and why that is?
4: Sure. Um, so the, any skilled sort of approach to a job is likely to be at least attempted to be replaced by AI. What AI will never be able to do is um, is... Is that emotional intelligence where you understand one another you try and find the right way to say something because you care about other people's emotion and and inevitably what we are talking about here is company's culture Mm -hmm. AI would never ever be able to create or to continue pursue or improve a company's culture and if there's anything any advantage Um, to a company over another, if they sell the same things, the same similar products and they compete, is their company culture? At the end of the day, one toxic person, for example, maybe he's the best salesperson in that company, but if he's toxic, people are going to be distracted, Mm -hmm. talk about it, uh, people are going to leave, and the company is going to be slower. Culture is super important, so
2: culture is important for all demographics and age groups but but particularly even more now we look at what gen z's are looking for and what are you seeing from that age group in particular when it comes to you know yes i want the right industry the right job title of course the right salary but that fit as well
4: yeah so uh, (laughs) you know again this is also kind of a symptom of change um the way People see a job 20 years ago or their career 20 years ago has tremendously changed compared to how um, it is taught at school, how it is vehiculated in social media, and how the the younger generation sees a job. Today, meaningful jobs are so important to uh, the younger generation. Um, The ability to create an impact to be to be to, to mean something is very very important now the the challenge that we have is that when it comes to fresh grads um, they come with no experience they come with very little or no experience and oftentimes the impact is created when people are super experienced mm-hmm. when people have the experience to create the impact they can create some impacts but in the beginning the what I see almost on a daily basis when it comes to fresh grads, is that the level of expectation between fresh grads and employers is is not the same. It's off. It's off.
2: And when you say expectations, what are the hopes and aspirations of, of grads that are not being met?
4: So so I think there's um, uh, it, we have a generation more and more, I would say, because technology is bringing so many results much faster we do have a growing instant gratification culture um we, we you know 20 30 years from now uh, before i would uh, be okay if someone told me when i started well it would take you five years to get your next promotion um today when you see that everyone can online at least at mm-hmm. least it shows like this <laughs> I was about to say
2: don't compare yeah, what's being said exactly. on LinkedIn to the reality of the test job but yes I know you. Uh, five years would seem
4: incomprehensible exactly uh, an eternity and, and remember that today we have two words we have the physical word of companies. And we have a virtual world where uh, younger generations are spending more and more time in, in this virtual world. We're talking about metaverse. Now, we, things are going to be more and more virtualized, even when we spoke last time about uh, remote work. Um, things are going to be sort of, we have two words that we have to, 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 to really reconcile at the moment.
2: So with the current state of the job market, 2024, what advice would you have for any fresh grads looking to land their first
4: job? Don't look for the job, please. I beg you, don't look for the job. If I can uh, turn back, you know, time, I would, um, I would look for a mentor. I would look for someone to teach me something that is so useful that nobody knows or that I'm going to know before absolutely everyone. I'm going to try. So, so the, the example I have is is the example of the athlete. If I play football Please don't look for any club. Look for an amazing player that could spend time with you. And let me tell you this, if the amazing player, if Ronaldo comes to me and says, Hey, all right, you can you can carry my bag for six months, that's your internship, and you're not gonna be paid. I'm going to carry his bag and his shoes, and I'm going to see absolutely everything. All these little secrets that make him such a superstar. I'm going to see it, I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to be exposed to it, and I'm going to feel privileged. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to think, well, I'm not going to do that without money. So, so at first, please disconnect the need to make money if you can. If you can, if you are young and you still have, um, yeah, family uh, support, exactly, paid exactly. accommodation, use that, mm-hmm. use that to your advantage, and and see. Even when it comes to searching for a job, oftentimes we make the mistake of, oh look, they're giving me this. The company is renowned, uh, or not doesn't matter. But I have a good feeling, and this is how decisions are made, very sort of superficially. And and what I would say is try and have three criteria trying to try to have criteria number one is that mentorship experience if you meet someone that's ready to 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 say hey i'm going to show you things that i've acquired in 10 years i'm going to show you in one year you're going to be it's going to be hard but i'm going to show you something amazing you're going to see if you're able to say look the earning potential even if you start at zero now the earning potential in that company the promotion the potential of actually being successful also financially Mm -hmm. um, is amazing or if you if you go to some company oh yeah there's two percent increase every six thousand years (laughs) yeah but the company is so prestigious I want to work there well think about it and the third and final thing is put your passion on the side your passion is, is made for you to enjoy with the money that you make, not for you to give away to an employer, for him to use it in exchange of very low pay. So if these three are met, you're, you're definitely off to a good start.
2: Great advice there. Hamza Zawali with us today, career coach, professional recruiter, entrepreneur, author. Up next, some of the pitfalls. We've already touched on a couple there, but also tips for standing out to employers in a competitive job market. We're talking fresh grads. And after half past, if you are a job seeker of any age or life stage, how to find your secret source and why it's so important. That's next. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer
1: on Dubai Eye 103.8.
0: With King's College Hospital London in Dubai, bringing the best of British healthcare to the UAE.
2: We are talking the job market, especially when it comes to fresh grads this hour with Hamza Zawali. He is a professional recruiter, a career coach, an entrepreneur, an author. He works with job seekers internationally, helping them find fulfilling career opportunities faster and yes, let's be honest, at a good income too. And we are talking fresh grads, and Hamza, you said earlier that, you know, this is a really tough market to be graduating into. What are some top tips for those young men and women? coming into this
4: market your attitude that's it nothing else absolutely nothing nobody cares if you're tall if you have a beautiful degree if you had amazing grades and and whatever what what matters is your attitude this is the only single point that the employer would not be able to change Mm -hmm. this is the only you know element in the equation that if it is weak the entire equation is wrong the entire equation goes 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 down so he will teach you but if you come to an interview if you approach people if you speak to people in a certain way that you know every time I Helen every time I ask a question in my interviews Sometimes I don't care about the answer. I care more about how they answer. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, if if I ask a question about, okay, so how would you do that? Or have you ever failed at something? Um, I don't care about what they failed at truly i really care about what happened if they failed C-
2: can i ask though mm. you're saying that it's not about necessarily having the most beautiful degree but those things do open the doors and then you can show off that you will have got high eq that you are because these things open the doors but ultimately your likability can keep you in the room you mentioned earlier having a toxic employee or a boss can you know spoil it for the for the whole company but in terms of getting those those doors open surely you need to be meeting some kind of
4: criteria so it- Yes. To to to. Long story short, yes, absolutely. Uh, But but you have to determine very quickly if this is a competitive advantage or not. In in a world where there's there's many universities that have amazing degrees, and every single year there's a huge you know uh, group of students that actually released into the wild (laughs) exactly with the same degree as you. Mm -hmm. What would make the difference is really you know the the approach the the you know the the one thing that will determine if you're going to be a success or not in other words it, when the employer is going to say okay am i going to make a good investment because let's face it he's going to pay you a salary what is he going to get in exchange is he going to get more Money than the money he spent. This is f- important because that's how entrepreneurs and employers think. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a good investment? The only factor that's going to determine that is your attitude. and And if you come with a list of, I don't like this. I want a company that does that. If you come with a list of, uh, you know, an ideal company, and and I want to be able to work from home, and and I want to be a, y- y- you. I want to do meaningful work. I want to be passionate. I want a manager that motivates me. We hear them all. You've got to say, no, I, I tell you what I want. I want to work harder than absolutely anyone in your company. And I want to learn. I want someone to teach me. Um, because I'm going to be ab- absorbing. If you're mm-hmm. able to, to teach me, I'll, I'll make a good return for you. You you test me. So so this is, you, you know, if, if I wanted to do your job, I would want to get my first job, say, in this company, and I would say, I don't even care how much you pay me. I just, I tell you, I want to be the best broadcaster or whatever in the world, and, and I want to learn from the best and you guys are the best you see when when someone comes to you like this suddenly you can't just say okay we'll let you know next (laughs) we can't do that we Mm -hmm. can't do that because what we what we always hear is oh look I have my degree in broadcasting and media and I yeah good but but I don't see the attitude that that, it's
2: interesting I'm going to have to try and phrase this carefully but I did some mentoring of um, some teenage girls Mm. a while ago and it was at a Dubai school Mm. and some of these kids were incredibly impressive. Very polished like like mini adults Mm. really Mm. and it gave me a massive ick. Wow. What what I was trying to communicate to some of these girls is you know your A-level grades might be phenomenal but if no one really wants to spend time around you it's completely meaningless. EQ. Uh, mm. Yeah, that likability factor is is so so important, but so is network. And we're going to talk about job seeking at all ages and stages mm. um, after half past. Um, I know we touched on this earlier, but I did have a message asking any predictions for employability in five years, e.g., recommended degree subjects. That's
4: from Ratan on social media. And 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 that's a tough one. I mm. I, I tell you, I, I'm going to tell you if if it was. If my own daughter or son was to ask this question, I would tell him exactly this. I would, I would say, you know what? The only degree that is going to help you for sure is a degree that's going to allow you to adapt. Is um, Whether it's an entrepreneurial degree or, or whatever it is that makes you feel that, well, I can just apply the basis to adapt and learn anything else. Mm-hmm. What we have to understand is that if you understand what, The company's goal is to reduce costs, increase profit, no matter which company. And even governments are definitely gearing up to that more and more. What's very, very important is to say to yourself, how can I be more of a profit um, generator than... A cost, yeah, a radiator rather than a drain. Exactly, <laughs> okay. exactly, absolutely. And 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 you've got to say to yourself, what skills do I need to acquire? Mm-hmm. Most of the skills that we are using today in our day to day job, we acquired after school, we acquired with experience, we acquired by exposing ourselves sometimes to bad experiences. Yeah, but it's all part of it. Exactly, it's part of it. So, so what I would say is get your bachelor's degree just to get that bachelor's degree or master's degree, it's fine. But don't be hung up to that. You you know, just just disconnect with that and, and study the employer what he needs and see how you can add value.
2: So that agility, creativity... Hamza with us this afternoon, Hamza Zouali. We're going to be turning our attention to job seeking in all stages of life Um, next. uh, We'll have a couple of questions about grads, so I'm sure we'll touch on that too. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer
1: on Dubai Eye 103.8.
0: With Vietnamese foodies, fresh, naturally healthy and affordable dishes with authentic Vietnamese flavours. Order now on all delivery platforms. Visit vietnamesefoodies.com.
2: Great to have you with us this Tuesday afternoon. Joining us, we've got career coach, recruiter, entrepreneur, author of the 30-day job search, Hamza Zuwali. How do you anticipate this concept of selling yourself, evolving in the future job market? Um, And I guess any advice to any job seekers to help stay ahead of
4: that game? So you sell yourself with two things, right? You sell yourself with what you promise for the future and you sell yourself with your past experience, with your past performance rather. So if you're early in your career and you don't have a strong past performance, you've got to absolutely be very, very clear, crystal clear on what you promise mm-hmm. and deliver. If I believe you as an employer, I'm going to want what you promise and I'm going to buy your services. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in a mid-career, what you what,
2: have... What would, you, do, sorry to interrupt, what would sure. you define as mid-career in terms of oh, good level
4: or age? Yeah, I think... I think It depends when you start, don't you? But but I would call mid-career after 10 years. Okay. Um, So 10 to 20 years, I would call it mid-career of experience. So no matter your age, I would say, look at all the things that you've accomplished, not as a human being, but for others, for a company, for an employer. So don't say, oh, I've done my job well, and I was able to have really great um, uh, performance review at my previous job. That's the student mentality, for example. Yeah, I've got good grades. Yeah, good. But what have you achieved for the employer? I, I mean, let me let me rephrase it. If you didn't exist, what would a, what would be different from the, for the employer? Ask. Start asking yourself. The more you extract that, the more you extracting these past performances. Mm-hmm. And you know, if anything about past performances is that they they do tend to predict yeah. future performances, inform- or at least a trend yeah. and I think the clearer you are with that the more you are aware that you are actually building your CV so so the today if you don't get on with, a, with an employee a colleague your boss remember think about the Big picture, the big game. You're building your CV, and these people might give you references later on. They might be part of your network later on. Mm. The more you're playing the game at the high level with the big picture in mind, the better you are at selling yourself. The better you are at having these social feedback, where because it's a little bit like when we choose a restaurant, we've got the Google reviews. Well, it's the same with an employee. We have candidates, and we're going to check references. These are social you know elements of how you performed really so so yeah I hope that answers your question yeah that makes yeah, sense does, yeah. we've got
2: time for one last Go question ahead. Hamza um, which has come in saying husband has been out of work since Covid ex-airline and has massively lost heart any advice so maybe getting back on the bike I mean we're, talk- we're talking earlier about the importance of family mental health as a whole and you know job loss has such a significant impact on of course the financials of a family but also the attitude, the, the happiness level. Um, and I think it's very difficult for a, a partner to be supporting someone through job-seeking and, and job loss. But, for, I mean, she used the words there, I mean a massively lost heart. Any tips for finding it again?
4: I, I'm going to say something that maybe people would, would find disturbing, but please hear me out till the end. Um, th- whatever situation you're in, it's, it's temporary. Accept it. J- just... Especially if things are going fantastically well. Um, I usually get worried when things get fantastically well. I I promise you, I I sell my investments when things are doing amazing. I I don't like it. I don't like it because I know this is always just before something happens. So first of all, the advice to, to everyone that's super happy right now, what's your next move? What's your next move? It's much better to think about problems when there's none mm-hmm. than when we have them, because we have emotions that gets involved when we have them. Number two is that remember that you're not limited to your job. Your identity is not connected to your job or this company. Maybe you've been you've spent 10 years, 20 years, 30 years saying to people, Oh, what do you do? I'm a Pilot. I'm a teacher. I'm I'm a this. Well, let's quit that. I'm a father. Use something that I'm 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 just. Uh, I work for this company, but don't attach your identity to that job because that job is temporary. No matter how you see it, it's temporary. Mm-hmm. Crisis will happen. Things will happen. And finally, now that we are in this situation, just to answer to to that person it, very quickly, the, the I would say this the human spirit is an entrepreneurial spirit to start with. It is not an employee spirit. It is not a spirit where you you are made to make one thing and one thing only. You are made to discover your full potential and it could be so many things now, now, now you know the the thing that ignites our idea is the need to search for um, prosperity, needs to search for, for money, financial gains yeah, resources. And exactly and that's beautiful. This has been always the case. The human spirit before the industrial era has always been entrepreneurial from A to Z and I think that If anything we need to rekindle with our ability to create value and to be paid for it doesn't matter if your client is a company and you're an employee of that client you're just selling your services but think about so many other things that you can do we just talked about flow we talked about playing different games we talked about a a myriad of things I think your brain is way you know way bigger than just the job that you currently do. Uh, no, I think, I know, because because we're human. We're we, we almost unlimited. Look at where we are and what we've achieved mm-hmm. as a species and, and even individually. So my point is that don't disconnect with that aspect of your identity and start creating value to others. If anything, that person, and I will just finish with that, sorry, just to, to kind of throw an idea... Uh, if anything, that person would be amazing probably at um, advising pilots that are currently employed on how to manage stress, on de- designing perhaps some sort of consultancy, some sort of training uh, company that wouldn't necessarily cost much money to, to, to establish, mm-hmm. but that person has a huge network of people and he has the experience to back it up, to the credibility to back it up. That person can use his past experience and reinvent himself Infinitely, please believe that
2: we always have so many questions asking about hiring your service as a career coach, and you always give the same answer, which is read the book
4: <laughs> <laughs> so that's the
2: last that's the last question name of the book
4: and where to find it please Hamzawali. Ali It's called the thirty days job search and the reason why I push for people to read the book is that you're
2: a really busy man you can't coach everybody <laughs> that's
4: that's that's a very good point but, but the, the, the most important thing is that I truly believe um, it's it's a coaching experience as as it is, and and I think that read the story of the book, you'll recognize a lot of aspects um, in your own life, and and this is going to be your journey. If you read the book, I always say this to people, whoever reads the book please don't read it all now but that i'm going to say that but whoever reads the book i'm happy to look at your cv and give you some advice uh but read the book first because usually back- you don't need me after that
2: well you never know and it <laughs> comes back to attitude That's, uh thank you so much for your time and you will make it even easier if you send me the word book to 4001 i will send you the link so thank you can you get so on that absolute pleasure as ever thank you so so much